What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. The cold hard truth about the Olympic journey is not really been financially incentivized in the same way that many other professional sports are. The business of basketball involves CBA, Global, our licensing arm, Think 450. All of those things will make up what that looks like. Money in sports is one of the reasons why I enjoy being on Monday Night Countdown. We talk about some of the more interesting aspects of business of sports. When you're talking sports, discipline is the bridge from being good to ultimately being great at whatever it is that you're trying to be or accomplish at your profession. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. Coming up today, the issue of race and diversity in sports, and we talk with CAA, which stands for Creative Artist Agency Executive Sean Costner. He is a veteran of Def Jam and Rock Nation Sports. Now heads up the diversity work at CAA straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. But first, let's look at some of the top stories this week, beginning with the latest in golf as the PGA Tour tries to find a way to stop top talent from leaving for the Saudi back live golf. We talked a little bit about it in the podcast, but it's just expanding. And Jay Monahan said, look, okay, we got some more money for you. It's it's going to come in, and we're going to adjust the schedule, and it's going to be great. I'm telling you, Scarlett, <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah. Don't leave. <laughs> Urgency is picking up here, and this is as, what, eight of the top 50 players have now decamped. I think what's interesting here is that Jay Monahan has now acknowledged that this is an arms race, and the weapons are money, dollar bills, and if that's how things are going to play out— there's no way the PGA can win. We know what the problems are. Yeah, maybe are they sport washing here? Essentially, yeah, exactly. Is is the Saudi Arabia, uh, the government, the kingdom sport washing? There are a lot of human rights issues taking place, and this is something that all the players who have moved over to live have been peppered with all these questions at different press events, and you know they kind of acknowledge it, and then they they move on. I I think the the biggest thing that I wonder about is where's the future going with this? Mm-hmm. Uh, how does and, this end? Yeah, how does it end? Because if you wind up in... Jay Monahan, obviously, he made his... He's put his flag in the ground mm-hmm. saying, look, if you go over to live, yeah. don't think about coming to the PGA and playing anything ever again. You're dead to me. Yeah, and I'm and I'm wondering if he's going to have to reevaluate that in mm-hmm. the future. Right, especially because um, the U.S. Open allows players to come back, um, and the British Open, or the Open, also does the same, allows players to play for their tournament. I feel like the more players that go over to live, the less of a stigma there is, because is every reporter, is everyone going to ask them the same question? After a while, it just becomes part of the norm. Roy McIlroy has not gone over. Now, which brings up another thing. The live tournament wants to add points to it. What I'm worried about is how do you make it to where the live league is not an exhibition league, Mm. whereas the PGA, you're playing against some of the top players? You know, with enough time um, and with enough 
big name players coming over. They'll find a way. This next story. You cannot make it up. No, you can't. There's no the, the. <laughs> Can you explain, please? <laughs> yes. Ohio State University, or rather, the Ohio State University has officially won trademark rights to one of the most common words in the English language, the. The school gained permission to use the by itself on all apparel available through channels customary to the field of sports and collegiate athletes. That's according to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. The, I remember that there was an argument about, well, can you say Murphy's bed? And they tried to trademark that. And the ruling was, well, it's so common that you can't trademark the word Murphy because everybody uses it. But you can take the word the, the probably the most, one of the most common words yeah. ever, and you've trademarked. Well, apparently, trademarks are really big business for Ohio State. Um, the licensing program at the university has made over $130 million in royalty revenue from about $1.3 billion in licensed retail sales. That's according to its website. So, there's a lot of money at stake here. I get it if you want to have a picture of a Buckeye or something on there, man. I get that. Well, now you can do that and have the on top of it. The. This next one. This, this is a little more serious. We're going to talk about... Uh, uh, in Cutter uh, with the World Cup there and they're trying to let people know that everybody is welcome there. We must make sure that there is not just a text of a legislation but that it is implemented and for this reason I'm, I put my tent here okay. in, in Doha and I'm kind of living here and I'm going to uh, every day to see the responsible persons in the government and, and, and um, we enforce as well all this legislation to make sure that of course if somebody violates it that the rights the human rights, the workers' rights are protected. Now, that is FIFA President Gianna Infantino, and he's talking about when they have the the big event mm -hmm. that some of the topics that people were worried about from the LGBTQ plus and, and other issues. Not that, to mention labor abuses, exactly, corruption. Exactly. I mean, go on that, hey, you know, we're going to try to handle it. So we started off by talking about uh, sports washing, with Live Golf Tournament. Uh, this cutter, uh, FIFA, has been accused of sports washing as well with hosting the World Cup or situating the World Cup in Qatar. This is definitely something that is grabbing a lot of attention. I think an undercurrent of this is just what happens to the tournament and what happens to the experience of going to the tournament for not just the players, but also for spectators. To show you how popular it is, and people in the U.S. may not know how popular soccer is, especially this event, they have offered hundreds of tents, even more, out in the desert for people who can't find accommodations, hotel accommodations. So you could sleep in a tent in the desert if you really want to come see the World Cup. Up next on the show, we speak with CAA Creative Artist Agency Executive Sean Costner. Straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports, I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm on Twitter at Scarlet Foo. And don't forget to catch our podcast Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays on all your podcast platforms and right here on Bloomberg Business of Sports and Bloomberg Radio. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. 
at Stiefel. It's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports, where we explore some of the biggest issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. And guess who we have? We all we always have great guests, and we've got another great guest, Sean Costner. He's a sports executive. He's with Creative Artist Agency, and he always knows his stuff because he's going to lay some big-time knowledge on us. First of all, Sean, thank you so much for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Now, I, I want to talk about this because before you, you started and you went to the Creative Artists Agency, you were at Def Jam, and uh, then you went to Rock Nation, and then ultimately to where you are now. Tell us about that path and, and what it was like. Uh, yeah, in, uh, in 2007, when, uh, when Jay-Z became the president of Def Jam, uh, I had become vice president. Uh, I came under the uh, privilege of L.A. Reid and my good friend Steve Bartles, who's actually a really good friend of mine still to this day. Uh, and I worked closely with Jay on, you know, now, well, they signed a lot of artists. I was part of the marketing promotion team that helped break artists like Rihanna, Neo, Rick Ross, Young Jeezy. Uh, we worked on Mariah's, I think, 10th album at that time. Um, and a, a whole other slew of big uh, artists. So I was actually part of a team that helped put these brands together, build them up, and, and make them, oh, will help make them to some of the superstars they are today. Uh, and during that time, uh, I had met Jay-Z and got really close with him. And both of us being really big sports fans and enthusiasts of, uh, of big sports brands and things of that sort, he went off to start Rock Nation Sports with his very good friend, Juan Perez. Um, and when they started it uh, in 2008, I left uh, about 2014 and went to work for them and um, co-head up their sports division at Rock Nation Sports. So it sounds like it was a very organic transition into sports um, after your time in the music business. Is there anything that, that doesn't transition easily? What was the thing that surprised you the most in, in making that move from music to sports? that you perhaps didn't expect? Um, well, the thing that, that I saw about the transition, well, well, because I worked in music 
we always had a lot of relationships with a lot of big athletes in New York. You know, you know, Carmelo Anthony, D. Wade, LeBron. Uh, we always have really close relationships with those guys. Mr. Cruz, T.C. Sabathia, a lot of the big Yankees um, at that time. So the transition wasn't really that hard because we were always in that same world together. You know how they always say rappers want to be athletes and athletes want to be rappers, right? So mm-hmm. That was like, <laughs> that was a real thing because we actually spent evenings with these guys all the time. Uh, I think the hardest part was I grew up in music, in the music business. So a lot of people we did business with, we had all grown up together. When I made the transition to sports, I had to like sort of start all over again in, in building those relationships. Sean, let's, let's take it back a bit. I mean, before you even made it to Def Jam, you were at Arista Records, but even before that, you started out working as an intern back at G Street, throwing boxes of records into cars, man, hitting the road, working the club circuit. I mean, you know, schmoozing DJs like Funkmaster Flex. I mean, <laughs> bro, you, you basically invented the concept of guerrilla marketing, you know, street marketing. Tell me, you know, how has that prepared you for your current role, basically, as the ambassador of Quan at CAA? <laughs> um, it, it's so, man, you brought back so many crazy memories. I was uh, at a cigar bar last night with some friends who uh, actually, I, it was one guy I went to high school with, one guy I worked in the music industry with and really looked up to, another DJ guy who I used to promote the music to, and then a big club promoter. It was ironic. I had just ran into them last night. And it's so crazy that we're talking about this. I loved it, man. I, I think the best thing that it taught me um, when I did my internship at G Street and, you know, getting on the road, I, I told the guy who was head of, of this jockey promotions at that time, just let me drive the van, man. All I want to do is drive the van up and down the East Coast. I won't bother you. I won't be a pain in the butt. And it just gave me the opportunity to meet all the DJs up and down the East Coast. I got to put the face with the names. I got to give them these big records. Uh, and it really helped with building my relationship with these people. Like, it, it was a trust. They were like, damn, nobody really comes from New York and drives down, comes and spends time with us in South Carolina and Virginia and all these really small markets. But I did. And I think that's what really helped build, show me that relationships are the biggest thing when it comes to business. Well, what happened now when when you changed and then you went into the sports and then all of a sudden you realized you know what, this is a great move, but this part of it is a pain in the butt. What is it? I think the hardest part when I made the transition in the sports was the time factor. Like, you know, when you have to go and meet parents of kids who you potentially want to have do business with, it takes a lot of time away from your family. Uh, sometimes you have to spend up, upwards of six months uh, with these families. It's fun because you get to meet new and different people, but I think that that's the hardest part. That That part of it, is really being away from your family and having to convince someone that you want to be able to take their son to the next level. Uh, I think that's really hard. Uh, a lot of people think it's easy, and, and it's not. You know, you want to tell a mom who's been around her son for 17, 18 years, sees him every day, like, I want to take this guy and make him a superstar, but you won't see him for the next two or three years. You know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to trust people like that. Yeah. And I think that, that that's a great thing about you know, the companies I work for, uh, you know, like CAA. CAA does a wonderful job to me because if you notice all the clients, a lot of clients they had, they're brand builders. They've done a wonderful job of not only just building the brands of our clients, but we've also built a great relationship. Talk a little bit about the diversity in the uh, agency business. I mean, I'm going to date myself, but I think of Jerry Maguire, and I don't recall seeing any people of color 
uh, as sports agents, and a lot of the athletes obviously are African American. When you said that you transitioned into the sports business, you had to adapt to a whole new network of people and kind of get to know them as opposed to the folks in the music industry who you had grown up with and really knew intimately. When you first start out, right, like say my internship, maybe the guy that I went to go, or when I first started out promoting records, the guy that I went to go give the record to the DJ, five years from now, or from then, he might have become the music director. Ten years, the program director, right? I didn't have that 20 years of friendship and relationship, so I had to use what my characteristic and, and what my talents were to expedite those relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think with us at CAA, I think they've done an amazing job when it comes to diversity. You can see the difference of people who have been hired in the past three years at CAA, even from young executives to board members, they made an initial amazing transition to make sure people felt comfortable. Sean Costner, sports executive with Creative Artists Agency, laying some knowledge on us and what it's like in the sports world now as an agent. So when you have a new client, what is that process like? I mean, I, don't, I, I know you, you can't you know talk about business at the dinner table about all your clients, but what is the new process like? Um, I think the first process... Uh, for me personally, when we talk about new clients, is you want to figure out, you know, what they want to do. What 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 are their goals? What what short term and long term goals they want to achieve? Um, a lot of times, for me, I try to figure out uh, what's most important to them post career. Sometimes I think it's important, um, so that way you can sort of create a a path on on how to achieve that. Um, one of the new clients that we signed, and, and, and Scarlett was talking about it prior, was diversity and, and things that are going on now with CAA. How is it in sports, even though she's not really a sports figure? But one of our newest clients is Miss Opal Lee, um, who was the front runner and leader of Juneteenth, uh, which I think is, is an amazing thing for, for our company, right? The CAA was able to sign Miss mm. Opal Lee, and we were able to help her uh, with. Um, our CA Foundation group and a very good friend of mine, Tyrone Bland, who works for CAA and U.S. government, to sort of help try to push some of this stuff in front of some of these people. And we, we sort of did a very, very small part, but became a part of history by helping Miss Oberly achieve her goal of Juneteenth becoming a national holiday. You know, and I think a lot of people um, should see that these small things that we do and CAA does for the company and for the world, that's amazing. Yeah, those are things that people don't hear about um, that are kind of moving and progressing in the background. I'm curious, as an agent who's helping athletes uh, and and musicians kind of plot out, especially for athletes, their post-career lives and think of ways that they can monetize their brand, how much does geography matter? How much does where they live and what team they play for make a difference in, in building out their brand. I, I ask this because I remember hearing basketball players who pointedly sought out to play for Golden State because it was near Silicon Valley and they wanted to be exposed to all those founders. They wanted to have access to uh, the VCs who would visit the locker room after games. Uh, I, I think geography plays a, a, an integral part of it, but not so much. Nowadays with the internet and social media, Anybody can sort of build a brand as long as you can create a fan, a fan base, a fan base. And once you create a fan base, build upon the fan base, then, you know, the world is, is at your fingertips. Yes, is it easier to have dinner with 
a CEO of a hedge fund company or a tech company that's closer to, to the city that you play for, yeah, is it easier, your chances of running into that guy sitting courtside of the basketball game while you're playing is easier, yes. But I also also believe that that's also based on the individual. I think it depends on how bad the actual client wants it. That That is based on what business sense and what team the client has around them. That's very important. Dwayne Wade has an amazing team. Played in Miami. Now he owns a piece of the Utah Jazz. Very close friend of mine. But his business sense and the team that Lisa and CAA and Lloyd and even Vino being a, an extreme a part of, that's important. When you have a team that believes in you and you show leadership to it. So I, I think that's all based on individualism. Also having the right team. Heck, I've heard you, you know, compare athletes to musicians and basically call them the same thing. It's dealing like with the same type of client, you know, but after your time at Rock Nation and now at CAA, do you still feel the same way? And further to that, I mean, you mentioned Dwayne Wade. Who is the most sort of business savvy athlete slash musician that you've ever worked with? <laughs> wow, David. That's crazy. <laughs> no. um, I'd have to say, I'd have to say, if you put it in that term, athlete slash musician slash business savvy, right? It has to be, it has to be D Wade. There's no, because listen, he put a rap song out with Rick Ross. You guys remember that? Yep, yep. Oh, yeah. The yeah, book, yeah, the yeah, film. Yeah. Yeah. He was the first one to go to China. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, he had all those elements around that. So hands down, I'd have to say that Dwayne Wade should win uh, like a trifecta. He should sort of, we should create an EGOT for that type of like a musician. <laughs> it should be an EGOT for the musician slash <laughs> of athlete slash uh, entrepreneurial businessman. It would, it would hands down have to be him. It was something to piggyback on something that Scarlett said when the athlete finishes their career. And I bring it up because uh, Rob Gronkowski, uh, the great tight end, uh, he is winding up his career. And maybe, he said, maybe. Well, you, you say that he's <laughs> – I think he's uh, – he's, dude has played he, – he, One we'll phone see. call from Tom Brady and that could change. I'm going to put a 20 on it with you. $20 that he's done, man. <laughs> what? But, but the thing that, that – I think about is that he said he made about $70 million in his salary from the league alone in the NFL. And he lived off the endorsements and sponsorship money and just packed away the $70 million. And I just wanted to comment because I think that's extremely smart. Uh, A lot of guys do that. The smart guys do that. Listen, first thing anybody should do when you get a big check, go to the bank, put your money in the bank, Get a checkbook and pay your bills for the first couple of years. You got to learn to pay your bills on time. Get your credit right. These are small things that some people, unfortunately, don't even have that opportunity to learn, right? So when you do have good, smart people and a good team around you, it's important. Whoever was around him from a financial standpoint gave him some great advice because all he did was spend the extra money that he made, what we call side hustle money, and use that to live and survive. His earnings... He kept it saved or invested or whatever. That's smart. And we, there's some things that, you know, I'm working on now to be able to teach a lot more younger African-American kids in, 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 in these rough neighborhoods to try to teach them financial literacy. Mm-hmm. Something as easy as going to put your check in the bank, getting a checkbook, and paying your bill. Or paying them online now. I'm, I'm showing my age now. <laughs> <laughs> 
but uh, but you know those, those those are some of the things that outside of athletes, musicians, like something that we need to do as people people of color, people of different ethnicities, however whoever you are, and we need to go back, especially in communities I grew up and I was born and raised in. That's important to me. Like we need to do that. I sit on the board for the Bronx Children's Museum. We're building a museum. We raised a bunch of money yesterday at one of our events. Sunny Holston was the uh, honoree. Thanks. We want to thank her for being there. But one of the things that's important to us in, the, in this museum is to have a little section where kids can learn about transactional fees with money with monies and things of that sort. Yeah. It's important. So Financial literacy is key. Absolutely. It's key, key. Yeah. I have another question for you. It's a little bit out of left field. Um, how would you advise someone like Colin Kaepernick then to move forward and to... Uh, monetize, maybe monetize is not even the right word, but to move forward to continue to build his brand at a time when he's having trouble getting a legitimate role on an NFL team. Um, we, we know that earlier this year, he was looking to accept a, a backup role just to be able to play, and that was not forthcoming. If you were his agent, how would you advise him? Um, I would just tell him to listen, follow his heart and his gut. And if he wants it, he has to just keep going for it. It's going to break down barriers. Everything in life has barriers, right? The little loopholes that try to block you from getting places where you goals you want to achieve and things of that sort. But me personally, I would talk to Colin. Me personally, I wouldn't say about how our company or anything would handle that. Me personally, I would just tell him follow his heart and gut and don't stop. If he really wants to do it, we just got to keep knocking down the doors and embarrass. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Steeple. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. We're talking with Sean Costner, sports executive at Creative Artist Agency. I tell you, some of the best stuff is when we're off the mic. We ought to do a Christmas show one day and play the clips. Just outtakes? Do the outtakes of the show. <laughs> that, that, we, we, would get, we would get an EGOT for that. 
Well, well, he got might spell something different, but that's that's the same thing. Uh, uh, Damien, man, is like you know uh, this guy lays a lot of knowledge on this man. Well, look, I mean, for me, I mean, Michael and, and Peck, you know, we know how passionate you are about your philanthropic work. But, you know, what I want to know is about today's athlete. I mean, do you find them to be more or less inclined to share their time and their wealth, quite frankly, philanthropically? I mean, do you do, you know, is it really just for marketing or brand purposes or is today's athlete really committed to giving back to their community? I mean, what's your thoughts there? Um, and I absolutely believe that today's athlete is, is, uh, is committed to giving back. A lot of times when we have meetings with guys and things like that, so, or a lot of times it comes up. A lot of athletes, a lot of athletes' parents are always wanting to give back, especially within their community, especially where they grew up, especially in their hometown. A lot of them don't even want to put it out as a platform that they're doing it. But, yes, yeah, there are a lot of athletes who definitely give back that a lot of people don't even know about, especially in the media. Let me ask also about when you are trying to, let's say, educate your client on things that they may not know. And I'm talking about the younger people. I'm talking about the the college uh, who was the, the previous college athlete now stepping into the pros, just learning about what this business is all about. What knowledge do you lay on? We talked about money management, but what other knowledgeable things do you lay on or her? Um, I think some of the things that a lot of, Anybody who is into sort of like guiding kids and things like that. So it's about being safe, being safe with your surroundings, people around you, who you have in your home, you know, not necessarily trusting people all the time, taking the time to know who has your best interests at heart, you know, making sure your family is good, making the right decisions, being careful around, you know, women and things of that sort. And just make sure that you keep an eye open. I think that not only for our clients, but I'm just saying in general, I think that that's something that's important for these young kids to know nowadays. It's unfortunate, but so much information is available to people, you know, today in ways that it would never have been available. You know, you can Google somebody's name, find out where they live, where their kids live and things like that. So, so I think it's very important just about from a security standpoint, just making sure that people take care of themselves and that they're safe. So how do you think that will change? How do you see that changing with the economy slowing down, with um, the markets tumbling, entering a bear market, with people talking about a possible recession coming? How does that change the trajectory of how these young athletes move forward and, and plan ahead? Listen, you know, like the old grandmother used to say, tuck that money up for a rainy day. That's <laughs> what you got to do. Cut your spending, cut... Your expenses, put some money away. The world is changing. You're not the only person going through it. The world is going through it. Um, you know, my personal advice to people is, is just, you know, that's what I say. Cut back your expenses. See what's going on. Be smart. Make sure you have the, the right team around you and things of that sort. That's always my best advice. But do, do brands then stop knocking on athletes' doors? Or is there less outreach than there was before? Um, what does the proposition from the brands look like? Well, no, I, brands always want to align themselves with superstars. That's never going to stop, mm-hmm. um, you know, because they need to dig into who their direct to consumer is, who their followers are, who their, their fan base is. Um, and I think brands 
brands have done an amazing job, I think, oh, even during the pandemic, learning more about individuals. I think they were really open. Now you saw you were in people's homes during during uh, when you had to, you know, Zoom and things of that sort, right? You see kids running behind you with pampers on. You see people's spouses <laughs> scantily dressed and things of that sort. You, you, you really got to know who people were. Uh, during the pandemic. And I think brands did a, a better job of figuring out who they really want to be in business with uh, during the past years. Uh, I think our company has done a great job of putting um, our clients in front of those brands. Uh, and our brand consulting group, I think, has done an amazing job in intertwining our clients with a lot of, of great business opportunities. Um, and to me, I saw it, I saw it flourish. You know, Pac, we, we talk about, you know, the, the changing world of sports, but really, I mean, the changing world of college sports is what most interests me, specifically with name, image, likeness. I mean, you know, we were laughing the other day with Victor Cruz. Like, imagine what a UMass Victor Cruz rookie card autographed would go for, you know, on auction, right? But, you know, my question is, how is CAA adapting to, you know, that, that changing dynamic, you know, that college athletes now have a brand that they can market and profit from? Um, I think, you know, talking with Lloyd, who I work closely with, who, who does a lot of NIL deals, and from the information I had gotten from him and, and, and knowledge I got from him, I think CA, we've been doing an amazing job. Um, I think it's something that we adapted to and learned quickly. Um, I think there's several agents in baseball, basketball, and football who are doing amazing jobs for both each and individual players because I think it's different um, for, for different sports. When, when I say that, I think, you know, basketball, college basketball players, their names and brands are bigger than possibly some college football and college baseball. College baseball probably being the, the least, but I think, you know, Amber Sabathia, who, who's an agent with us, she's been doing an outstanding job with her younger clients um, when it comes to baseball. We discuss that all the time, the NIL deal she, she's been doing. Uh, Lloyd has been doing some amazing ones for us in basketball. He's been amazing with that and, and doing some unprecedented deals. So, Sean, we're talking, about, we're, talk, we're talking about the great Lloyd Frischer here, right? Just to be clear. The, we call him Money Lloyd. I apologize. Money, Money Lloyd. Lloyd. Okay. <laughs> okay. Damien, shame Sorry on you that you didn't know that. <laughs> That's <laughs> no, my bad. <laughs> yes, we're talking about Money Lloyd, the great Lloyd Fisher. And, and, and that knowledge I just get from, you know, just having conversations uh, with my colleagues and them explaining to me, because even me being in the sports world, I have to learn more about it every day. So thank, thanks to them for doing an amazing job. Now, see, I'm going to find a way to tie my lasagna disaster into a sports question. <laughs> full circle. Uh, this is going to go full circle. I, I got to explain right. it right quick. Uh, I tried to make a lasagna for my wife and the family, and I thought I was doing a great job, but I unfortunately also left the broiler on. So when I put, you know, when it came out, the whole blasted thing is burnt to all smithereens. And my wife looks at it and she says, the dog doesn't even want to eat that. So then I go on Twitter and I'll say something like, oh, yeah, and the horse you rode in on. So now I regret this tweet. My question to you is, I'm, I swear this is going full circle, what do you tell the your clients, any of the sports athletes, any celebrity for that matter, about sometimes there is a, a danger and you can make a mistake on Twitter? Sometimes. Sometimes. 
I blew his mind. I blew. I blew the man's mind. You didn't blow my mind. Okay. <laughs> this, what, what I really want to say might have to be this, during that Christmas. Uh, uh, what did you talk about? <laughs> oh, the, the he got outtakes. Yeah. <laughs> the, out, the he got outtakes. That's where my answer is going to be. Uh, but you know, listen. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, just people need to go offline, man. Sometimes, listen. If you. Take three days before you want to react to something. If you want to go crazy, take 72 hours, sit your butt down, go hug, kiss a loved one, go walk your dog, go visit your favorite auntie. I don't know. Do something. And then 72 hours later, get back to what you want to say. I think initial reactions aren't good for anyone. It doesn't matter who you are. Jay. See, I told you it was coming full circle. Sean Costner, he lays knowledge on us. He laid knowledge on me, by the way, how to, how to work it, by the way, is that you go to the frozen food section and then you go buy a lasagna and then don't microwave it. Then you put it in the oven. Don't put the broiler on. And then you serve don't it up and it's like, hey, baby, this is for you. And then she's going to say, oh, and the horse you rode in on. And that's, that's how you do it. Sean Costner, <laughs> sports executive, creative artist agency. You are the man. Thank you so much. I hope you had a lot of fun right here on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. No, I did. I did. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Sean, again, gave me the education. I think what came through to me was how this is a relationship <laughs> business, uh, just as music was a relationship business, and he... Um, invested in in the folks who started off uh, on the front lines and then kind of gradually worked their way up to bigger titles, more responsibilities, and was able to leverage that. He had to kind of start over and do that when he entered the sports business, but um, that takes time and it takes... it takes personality, it takes persistence, and this is a man who knows the value of, of building those relationships and, and, and broadening and deepening that network. You know, I mean, there's one regret I have. You talk about relationships. Uh, we never asked him about Jay-Z. I mean, think about this. You know, my man, Sean, was at Def Jam, and then Jay-Z came in to be president of Def Jam. He was like really the first artist to ever become the president mm-hmm. of a record label. And clearly they have a great relationship because it was Jay-Z who brought him over to Rock Nation and the rest is history. I always think, yes, right. He knows Jay-Z. Just like, oh, hey, what's happening, Jay? That means he knows Beyonce. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, so, personally, I'm more impressed by. Yeah. <laughs> My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since the kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Hey, guys. Guess what it's time for? Yes, you know. There's just silence yeah, on my end. I know, man. It's and Damien t- feels bad for me, so there's silence on his end. I, it's time for the number <laughs> of the week. Huddle around the set, children, because we're going to play our game of the week. This one is going to be an easy question, folks. That's what you said last time. Okay. Okay. The uh, British Open, or as they call it, uh, the golf pros, the Open, mm-hmm. is coming up uh, fairly soon. Uh, what I want to know is, what was the first year oh. of the British Open? Oh, my God. I mean, it's got to be in the 1800s, right? Um, I'll take a stab. I'll say 1890. I'll say 1870. Scarlet! Ah, there you go. 1860 was the first year for the the British Open, the Open Championship. What amazes me is that the field only had eight players in it. (laughs) (laughs) 
But hey, wow. it was 1860. What are you going to expect? Did they call it the British Open at the time? What did they call it? I think it's just still the Open. It's I think the they just open. called it the Open. Yeah. So that's I mean, guys, 1860. That's Abraham Lincoln, guys. I know. It's amazing. You know, they're playing in top hats, and yeah, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was great, man. It's I, you know, the wooden clubs, and I, my mom, God rest her soul, she had a wooden set of golf clubs, and I had to be about nine. And I said, this is cool. <laughs> so I took her five iron and I went out in the backyard and I was going to try to do some pitching with the five iron. But it's a wooden shaft, folks. So if you club the dirt, though it's going to break, which it did. And then my mom broke something else. It was not a happy day in the bar house. That, <laughs> that's, that's where that goes on the EGOT later on, what we're going to talk about, what she broke. Anyway. Your uh, spirit. Your spirit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Stick to putting, Michael. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> this has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Uh, and you can catch me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And you can congratulate me for winning number of the week for the first time in <laughs> I don't know how long at Scarlet Foo on Twitter. And you can follow me at Hour. And by the way, you can download this show wherever you get your podcast. Our podcasts are every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday right here on the Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.